Welcome to David Gogo's Soul Bender podcast. A journey through the blues as seen through the hazy recollections from a life on the road. We are live from the porch high atop Gogo Mountain where it's hot enough to boil a monkey's bum and we're sipping mint juleps like the suave southern gentlemen we are. I bet you were wondering whether summer was actually going to show up this year or not. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. It was a world record for me. I don't think I hit the waters of Nanaimo River till July 18, which is unheard of. I'm usually in there at the end of May. But it's all good now, and I've got my ear full of water, so um, I'll probably be speaking to you from my left side of my face. No, the right side of my face. is my left ear that's got the water in it. But it's, uh, it's gorgeous, and uh, hey... No gigs, but you might as well enjoy the weather. All right, moistness does not deter me. So we were going to talk about your Macon, Georgia adventure this time, but 2020 has once again caused some alterations. Yeah, um, well, we will do an episode on Macon, Georgia coming up because it was a fantastic trip I did there a couple years ago. But yeah, the loss of uh, Peter Green really hit me, you know, and as our revered rock stars get older and older, I mean, none of us is getting younger. Um, just, you know, these guys can't last forever. So, um, it's crazy what's been happening the last few years, but you know, a lot of guys are, are still very, very creative. You know, I mean, I'm thinking about the Stones and Bob Dylan and, you know, McCartney and the, these people are, are, they're still creating new music and it's great. Um, but losing Peter Green, even though he pretty much, I don't think he's been playing for about the last 10 years. He was just such a, an influence on me when I was first getting, going and, and discovering blues guitar so yeah i really wanted to to touch on that oh please commence touching well you know when i first got into playing music um oh there's the cat over there horsey's running around uh when i first first got into playing music you know it was a lot of the 60s bands and a lot of the 60s bands just happened to be british bands um you know so you start with the beatles and the kinks and the stones and the who um, and then I started to get drawn towards the, what I didn't realize at the time was was a real blues side of those bands, um, especially when, once I discovered Cream and then Jimi Hendrix. Um, but my dad did have some blues records in his collection, so I was kind of making the connection. So, you know, and once you start playing lead guitar, you want to play in that style. So, you know, the big three of the British blues rock guitar players, of course, would be Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page, all fabulous players, fine players. Um, and then you start digging a little deeper. I, I really was grooving on uh, Mick Taylor when Mick Taylor was in the Stones, particularly the album uh, Get Your Yeah Yeahs Out, where he was playing a lot of lead. Um, and there's something about the British players, this tone they got. It's usually a Les Paul guitar through a Marshall and great vibrato, great tone. And, you know, then I, I got hip to Savoy Brown, which years later was so cool to get to kind of become friends with Kim Simmons, the founder and guitar player. But there's something about, and I think you could ask any one of those players, there's something about Peter Green. When when you first discover Peter Green, I don't know, there's like a reverence towards him from, from fellow guitar players. Just, he had this incredible touch. Played a 1959 Les Paul that had some kind of a kooky thing going on with with his pickups. Apparently, they kind of been described as an out of phase tone. But his his phrasing is that's the one thing you you can teach people the notes what to play in the guitar, but it's where you place those notes, the phrasing. That's the big secret. 
I remember uh, watching a TV show. They used to have a TV show called In Session, and it was B.B. King with Larry Carlton. So Larry Carlton's a very well-respected studio session player and jazz player. Obviously really technically proficient and all that. And he's sitting in with B.B. King, and he said to B.B., he says, you know, I've been trying to play along with some of your records, and it seems whenever you're playing, I'm not playing, and whenever I'm playing, you're not playing. So, I mean, that just it's, it's where you place those notes. And Peter Green was just a master of that. Just, um, he could be so subtle, but he could also be very aggressive and, and great vibrato. So there's just something about him that was amazing. And Peter replaced Eric at one point. Yeah, I mean, there's the whole craziness of John Mayall, John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. Um, the guy's had some of the best guitars, guitarists ever in his band, and he always has throughout his whole career. He gets these lead guitar players, and um, uh, I've been lucky enough to do a little bit of touring with John over the years in Open, so it was kind of interesting to hang with the guy. But yeah, his... The, the the big record that Eric Clapton had been in the Yardbirds, but he was very much a blues purist uh, at that time. And so when the Yardbirds cut For Your Love, which was a big hit for them, he didn't like it at all. He thought that they were selling out and becoming a pop band. So he, he quit. And um, he joined up with John Mayall in the Blues Breakers because he thought that John was much more of a blues purist, which he was, and a very knowledgeable uh, guy about blues. So they made a record, I think it was just called Blues Breakers. It's known as the Beano album, because Eric Clapton on the cover, there's a photograph of the band, he's reading a, a, a comic book called The Beano. But anyways, it really turned people's heads. Eric was the first guy, I think, that played uh, a Les Paul guitar through a Marshall amplifier, and just had this bitchin' tone, and was just tearing it up. No one had heard anything like this before. You know, he had taken traditional blues and especially Chicago blues and, and, and players like Freddie King and 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 just cranked it up through this Marshall. So, you know, that's the whole beginning of the Clapton is God thing and, and, and people just worshipping him. Um, and all of a sudden, Eric decided to quit Mayall's band, which must have been quite a blow at the time, except that <laughs> he found Peter Green to step in and Peter Green was just amazing. Like, just had that same thing, the Les Paul through the Marshall. And, and um, yeah, uh, there's a guy actually who, who on my Facebook page has offered to uh, send me some bootlegs uh, of Peter Green playing with, with John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. Like, and I think it would be 67. And the guy would just show up at gigs and record them. And, uh, and apparently they're, they're pretty good quality too. So I'm looking forward to that. But they made a record called um, Hard Road. And... Um, there's some really great playing by Peter Green there. Um, he does the Freddie King instrumental called The Stumble, uh, which shows off his virtuosity. But he also started to write around this point. And that was what made another thing about Peter Green was he wrote some really great songs. He wrote some, some big big hits, actually. Um, but apparently he had asked John Mayall, you know, how do, how do you write a song? And John said, well, think of a song you like. And then try to make a you know write a song that sounds like that sounds similar to that. So there's another instrumental called the Supernatural on that album, which has kind of got this minor key blues thing, which is very much an Otis Rush vibe. So later, when Peter Green wrote Black Magic Woman, which most people know from the Santana version, but it's very much kind of based on an Otis Rush feel. Otis Rush played these great uh, minor key blues and. Uh, in fact, the Fleetwood Mac version of of, of uh, 
of that song, they bust into kind of a, a Chicago blues shuffle at the end rather than when Santana goes into that Latin thing. But the funny thing about that song is the lyrics of Black Magic Woman. I guess Peter Green's girlfriend at the time, you know, this is the 60s and people are uh, discovering religion and Eastern mysticism and all these things. So she was involved with, you know, trying to discover who she was and everything. And I guess at one point was practicing celibacy. So he figured that she was into some voodoo and that that great, you know, the line, the lyric in that song, don't turn your back on me, baby, is because she was literally, you know, refusing to uh, have sex with the, with the guy. So it's it's kind of an interesting song and the, the way he wrote it. But it ended up being, you know, a major, major smash hit. You know, not so much for Fleetwood Mac, but for, but for Santana. Yeah, and when you mention Fleetwood Mac, a lot of people will immediately think of Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, and they were and are, or or I guess were, in Lindsey's case, a huge part of the band, but there's more to the story. Yeah, well, I guess... Um after a while, you know, John Mayall had all these different players in his band. It was, you know, but John McVie was on bass for a long time, and, 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 you know, he's a great, great bass player. And for a little while, Mick Fleetwood was the drummer for maybe a month, from what I understand. And then Peter Green started to, uh, you know, try to expand his horizons. And apparently John Mayall, as a birthday gift for Peter Green, bought him some studio time at a recording studio. So he went in with uh, with Mick Fleetwood and John McVie and, and, and laid some stuff down. So... He kind of decided, I think it's time for me to move on from John's band and, and form my own band. And apparently, like, Mick Fleetwood was, was into it right away. John McVie was a little reluctant because it was a good gig with, with Mayall. It was this good, steady paycheck and everything. But Peter Green decided to name the band Fleetwood Mac in hopes that John McVie would would jump, you know, into that band. It was named after him, which is so strange. I think it says a lot about Peter Green as a person. He didn't call it, you know, Peter Green's Blues Explosion or the Peter Green Band. He named the band after the rhythm section, which he later claimed. He said, oh, I just think, you know, once I'm done with this, John, John and Mick might want to have their own band. Well, they certainly did, didn't they? And they were a true blues band. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so they recruited another guy, um, Jeremy Spencer, and Jeremy Spencer was a slide guitar player. Basically, what he did was he kind of just mimicked uh, the great Elmore James, but he did a, an amazing job. Like it, he sounds just like Elmore James. And yeah, there was pretty much just traditional blues, uh, but Peter did start start to write a bit, I think, on the first record. On uh, the second record, they added a great, a brilliant young guitar player named Danny Kerwin, guitarist and singer. And that's the other thing, is, is Peter had no problem in having this young upstart come in who was basically, I think, you know, a hero worship guy of Peter Green, but Peter went, this guy's great. So, you know, they, then they started playing some amazing music together, and um, both of them are great lead guitar players. I'm thinking from that time, I loved uh, a song that the Please Stop Messing Around. Great, just traditional blues, but Peter playing so amazing. Um, they ended up going to America... And a lot of the British blues bands, I mean, this is like holy ground. You go to Chicago where the, the Buddy Waters records and the Howlin' Wolf records were made, particularly at um, a place called Chess Studios, um, which was owned by the Chess Brothers, um, who started Chess Records. And a lot of the, the, the great blues uh, recordings are on that label. So for these guys to go to that studio, I mean, that's they're trying to capture the sound that, that they just love so much. And so Fleetwood Mac was, um, and, you know, the Stones did it. A few different bands did that. Fleetwood Mac went there and, and ended up recording with some of the traditional um, Chicago players. Uh, and there's a great record. 
and it, I think it's just called Blues Jam at Chess. And so they, you know, it's them augmented by Willie Dixon on stand-up bass, Walter Shaky Horton on harmonica, J.T. Brown on saxophone, who actually played with Elmore James and Howlin' Wolf. So, I mean, for a guy like Jeremy Spencer to, to record with one of the guys from Elmore James' band, it must have been amazing. Uh, a young buddy guy was there. And Honey Boy Edwards, of all things. And Honey Boy is one of the older guys. He was actually an, an associate of Robert Johnson. So we're talking old school Mississippi blues. But that's a fun record because these guys get, you know, not only are, there, are they recording in, in the legendary chess studios, but they're playing with some of the guys that created this amazing music. So that's kind of the, the, the blues era of Fleetwood Mac, you know, at its zenith. And then came album number three, then play on. They uh, moved out of the blues a bit. Yeah, well, that was the thing is, you know, Peter Green started to expand his songwriting, as did Danny Kerwin. I think Jeremy Spencer must have felt like he was getting left out a bit because he just wanted to play the traditional stuff, and these guys were growing leaps and bounds. So, yeah, the album Then Play On is really cool. There's the song Oh Well, which is a, a great tune, uh, Rattlesnake Shake, and there's just some kind of like studio jams where they're really they're just grooving. Like the band's really tight, really sounding great. Some really amazing earthy guitar tones, real biting stuff. Uh, yeah, and, and at that time... You could feel Peter Green that something was changing with him, and he's questioning things. But you know, back in that era, there was a lot of drugs going around, and I mentioned earlier, you know, people trying to discover who they are through, you know, different philosophies and religions. And this was starting to come out in the lyrics. Um, they did a single called "Man in the World," and one of the lyrics he says, "You know, sometimes I feel like I'd ne- I wish I'd never been born." Uh, so he started. You know, there was a little bit of a darkness coming in okay we're going to play one of your songs called shake my head why did you choose this one well i wish i could play a peter green song for you but you know with all the licensing and the copyright and blah 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 with podcasts we can't do that and we've already played some of the the blues stuff in, in previous episodes but i was just thinking in, in terms of guitar playing and songwriting and you know and what you're, you're trying to discover about yourself and trying to just go a little bit beyond the blues without losing it so this song off my my latest album, Shake My Head, it was it was a song that I've never spent this much time writing a song before. I was writing it and rewriting it and demoing recordings of it and then tearing it apart and building it back up again. But I think it it, it, it the message of the song is very strong. It's interesting structurally. It's it's not a traditional blues, but it's very much a blues, I think. And, you know, the guitar playing, I can hear, because I switched to playing Les Paul guitars a few years ago from playing mainly Fenders. So there's a bit of that Peter Green and other British players, the bite and the the tone of the the guitar solo. Good time, Charlie, everybody's friend. Looks like your good times have come to an end. You went too far. And it breaks my heart We watched you stumble Watched you fall apart See your woman Waiting by the phone You left her empty Left her all alone She's watched you do this 
many times before But this is the last time you're walking out that door When you start to lose pieces of your soul the things that you can't control Now it's all over Nothing left to say And all I can do Is shake my head And turn away Chasing stardom I was chasing dreams Can be a little harder So much to live for, so much more to do And now you've left there, crying over you When you start to lose pieces of your soul You lose yourself to things that you can't control And it's all over, there's nothing left to say People do their best But you're just gone Like all the rest The world was shattered At the drop of a hat But life rolls on Despite of that When you start to lose Pieces of your soul You lose yourself to things That you can't control And it's all over, there's nothing left to say
was Shake My Head from David Gogo, sounding pretty Fleetwood Mackish. We talked about Black Magic Woman already. That's not the only early hit they had, though. Yeah, well, they had a, this huge hit, especially in the UK, with an instrumental, which is hard to do. Um, a song called Albatross. And it's very, it's a beautiful kind of atmospheric with some sly guitar and just this kind of boom, 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 boom beat. Very, like, off the wall. You'd never expect it, but it just resonated with people. They loved it. It became a huge hit. And, in fact, even the Beatles kind of, not copied it, but paid tribute to it, I guess, on on, um, the Abbey Road album. Um, Was it Because? Or one of those songs, like... um, it's one of those ones where they're just singing the, the fake Spanish or whatever. So, yeah, and, and once again, it's like here you have this traditional blues band all of a sudden coming out with this ethereal kind of instrumental tune and becomes a hit. Um, but at that time, I guess, Peter started experimenting with drugs and whether or not he already had mental issues and the drugs just drew that out of him or what i i don't know but um there's much been told that, that he'd gone or the band had gone to munich and somehow ended up at this really strange old mansion that was kind of run by a cult and these guys had some heavy duty lsd and they all say that peter was never the same after that and then he started to have second thoughts about fame and fortune yeah well i guess it got to the point where he was almost guilty with the success he he had, because they must have, you know, the money must have been starting to roll in at that point. They, they were selling a lot of records and um, had these big hits, a lot of airplay, and he was writing the songs. So I guess he decided that it was silly that they have all this money and they should give it away and not just give some of, away, some of it away. He wanted to give all of it away. And he had meetings with management, and then he had meetings with the band, and all of them we were like, well, we kind of like having this money, be, you know, being able to buy houses and cars and stuff. You know, can we give away a portion? But he was became adamant, and then he became almost obsessive. And one of the last songs he did with Fleetwood Mac is a song called "The Green Man Alishi," which is basically about money and the trappings of fame and fortune. And it's a dark song; it's heavy. It's a great song. I love listening to it, but that's kind of what it's about. And that's when he started to have some serious mental problems, and uh, that kind of plagued him for the rest of his life. And he even threatened to shoot his accountant at one point, which I'm guessing is never a good sign. Yeah, and he's admitted it. I mean, I think he actually went to prison for a little bit for it. It got to the point where he was so frustrated that they kept sending him money. um, Because, you know, once Santana records Black Magic Woman, you're going to get some royalty checks. And he, I don't know if he actually did it, but he he somehow acquired a rifle and he was going to go down to his accountant's office and threaten to kill him if he kept sending him this money. So, you know, that resulted in him spending a a lot of time in and out of mental institutions. And I believe he got electroshock therapy. And yeah, just crazy. There's, you know, when you see the the young Peter Green, when you see some of the stuff on YouTube of them playing, he seems like such a together with it guy and, and seems like a funny guy, like a humorous guy. Um, it was sad to see this decline. So I guess there was a point where he just wasn't playing for a while. But then he came back, made a couple records, I believe it would be the late 80s, maybe the late 70s. No, sorry, the late 70s? I can't remember. Anyways, but one of the, my favorite was an album called In the Skies. And um, I've been told that a guitarist, a great guitarist named Snowy White is actually playing most of the leads on that album. But 
whether it's him or Peter or both, it's a great record. And then he faded away again, and um, I guess he had various points where he was virtually homeless or, you know, kind of living in squalor. Um, I remember reading an interview in a British magazine with him kind of at, at this point, and they found him. And it was very bizarre. Like, he was kind of speaking in riddles and stuff. And in fact, at one point, the guy said, you know, I noticed that when you last time you were playing music, you preferred to play a Fender Stratocaster guitar rather than, you know, the instrument you're really known for, which is a Gibson Les Paul. And he said, no, he said, the Gibson, I found it to be too Parisian. And I remember reading, what the hell is he talking about, Parisian? And then I, I look, when you look at the print, Les Paul could, could be pronounced Les Paul, like French. Parisian. So, I mean, that's just the way things were going for him back then. Did he not have a resurgence a while later? Yeah, which is one of those things I never thought I'd ever see. Um, there's a guy named Nigel Watson, and I guess he became friends with Peter. And Peter, at this time, Peter's family had taken him in and kind of got him on some med- medication, and, and, and things were looking up. So he actually expressed interest in, in playing again. So they started this thing called the Peter Green Splinter Group, which... I actually got to see him perform in Vancouver with, during that phase. And it's, like I say, it's one of these things I never thought I'd see. I just thought he was done. I thought it was all over with Peter Green. The interesting thing is his playing was his guitar playing was completely different. His singing was completely different. Now, if you had never heard the old Fleetwood Mac or the old Peter Green, I think you'd be just fine with this guy. He's kind of an odd dude, but... His guitar playing had virtually no vibrato, which is one of the Peter Green kind of signature things. And the vocals are real, real laid back and real mellow. But it had this cool thing. And and the records he did, I kind of liked. Um, like I say, completely different than the other stuff. So you, you can't compare it. People that tried, you know, were expecting the old Peter Green to come back. Well, you're not going to get that. You're going to get this. But I, I kind of dug it, man. And it was great to, to actually see him play. I, I didn't get to meet him, which I was disappointed about, but I, I got to see him play. Do you think we'll get to see another player of Peter Green's caliber at some point? Well, it's interesting. I mentioned, you know, in the beginning of this episode of the the, the way that the, the real like the, like the older players, the guys that are older now, I mean, they all looked up to Peter Green and they just thought he was he was the real deal. I'm noticing now with younger players because I'm sometimes involved in festivals or or um, workshops at festivals with younger players. And it's so cool to see the look on their face when they finally discover Peter Green. Because, you know, there's a lot of guys, you know, a lot of people, you know, younger players these days, they, you know, might, might be into Joe Bonamassa or, you know, more contemporary guys. But there's something about when people discover Peter Green, you can just see it in their eyes. It's like this secret handshake that we all have, you know, even though he was a guy who sold, you know, millions of records and, He's just kind of one of the un, unsung players. I mean, not to mention Danny Kerwin, who was also in, in Fleetwood Mac, was a great player. I mean, no one knows who Danny Kerwin is anymore, and he unfortunately passed away last year. Uh, and he was another guy that struggled. He struggled with alcoholism and, I guess, mental issues and basically didn't play, didn't do anything, I don't think, for the last 20, 25 years, you know. Um, so that's sad. But to see, you know, the music always lives on, and that's what I love. I, I love if if I can turn a younger player onto Peter Green, but I like it better when they they discover him themselves. You know, it's great. Um, yeah, and 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 ironically, they just did Mick Fleetwood had just organized a Peter Green tribute concert in, in over in London only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I believe David Gilmore was part of that from Pink Floyd, and um, oh, there's all all sorts of great players. Even even I think Noel Gallagher from Oasis, and you know, even though Peter was living in in 
England at the time. He didn't attend. Um, I saw a thing on Twitter. Guitarist Bernie Marsden, British player, was with Peter Green that night that, that the concert was held. He was at Peter Green's house. And he just said, you know, Peter, wouldn't, wouldn't you rather be in London tonight at, at the show? And he said, no. He says, I'm having a cup of tea with you. So he just, he had zero Fs to give, I guess, at the end. Uh, and, and at various points of his life. But uh, yeah, go back and discover it. Discover the original Fleetwood Mac. Uh, listen to the Peter Green solo records and, uh, and dig it. All right, thank you. Come again. We'll return to our previously scheduled Macon, Georgia episode next time. And if you have a question for David, send a carrier pigeon to soulbenderpodcast at gmail.com or smash that message button on Anchor and fire away. We'll get it, we'll read it, we'll answer it on an upcoming episode. I'm Scott James. He's David Gogo. Thank you and be safe. This has been David Gogo's Soulbender Podcast. To stay up to date, follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Until next time.